Welcome to I'm All Over This, our pop culture podcast. I'm George Gallwitzer. I'm Taylor Oxner. And we've got with us... Joshua Fordor. Fordor. Uh, this is our Lord of the Rings episode. This is what we decided. Um, Lord of the Rings is very special to me. It's been a very important thing in my life. Uh, not mine at all. Not Taylor's at all. Uh, Josh, what makes you our guest? What qualifies you to be our guest for Lord of the Rings? I don't know about qualifications, but I mean, Lord of the Rings pretty much changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anybody listening that don't know us personally, Josh and I used to live together, and that came out of us doing a Lord of the Rings marathon, all yeah. three extended in one day. First time we ever hung out, just the two of us, actually. Um, that's what we bonded over. We both also have Lord of the Rings tattoos, yeah. something that's <laughs> been very big for us in our life. But So what did Lord of the Rings, why did it change your life? Why was it so important to you? I don't know. Like I remember, I was like ten, and I wanted to read the Harry Potter books. My grandpa told me I had to read The Hobbit before he would let me read Harry Potter for some reason. Like he wanted me to read the book of his generation before I read the book of my generation. And I just got like sucked into it. Oh, the Superior. And that was like, well, yeah, but <laughs> that was right before Fellowship came out in theaters. I remember going to see it like with my uncle. No, you're fine. But uh, that was quite too quiet. <laughs> I remember my brother was there, and he would have been like seven or eight at the time. He was like terrified the whole time we watched the movie. <laughs> but yeah, I when we got it on DVD, I watched it like forty times in one year. I think. Yeah, that's that happened to a lot of people I know. It was the first thing that I got like super obsessed with. Right. Basically, I I read them for the first time. I started them in seventh grade. I think my dad grew up on them. And um, he uh, he had always pushed us to read them. My sister read The Hobbit, but didn't move on. I think she tried the fellowship, but didn't read it. So once I was old enough to want to read it myself, I've always been a big reader. I devoured books when I was younger. Normally, the Spider-Man novelizations or Star Wars books. And so this was my first foray into the fantasy genre. And it was because it was something that my dad pushed on us. Yeah. And uh, I actually still have his set that he had when he was a teenager. I bought my own set and then I passed that on to my, my little brother and I told him to do the same when, when my daughter's older or my nephews are older to buy his own set that he can read and then hand that one down and keep mine. So right. we kind of make that a family tradition. Uh, it, it took me a couple of years to read it the first time. I remember, I don't think I finished. I started in seventh grade, I believe. And I don't think I finished it until the end of my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year. Yeah. Uh, something that a lot of people reading them for the first time, have that issue especially yeah, when you read it young it. i remember <laughs> hobbit was easy i know i finished the hobbit yeah, quick. That's like a kid's book. it was Basically. written as a kid's book yeah i remember so you've actually read one of them yeah kind of uh hobbit. Hobbit. yeah we had a uh, illustrated version of it so it was the full-length version of the hobbit but like every, with pictures like, three yeah. pages had like a huge and it was like a huge like a um, coffee table well, and that, that's something that a, a lot of people got got them into Lord of the Rings. There's always been a very close, um, almost partnership with uh, a certain artist community. Uh, there's a lot of art books that came out years and years before the movies. And a lot of it came from um, this one artist whose name is completely out of my head right now. Do you have the book? Because I know I have, I have a copy of it. Yep, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's called Tolkien's World. 
There's a bunch of artists, but there was one specific. One, I think it's Alan something. Alan Lee. Alan Lee, yeah. He's like the big one, the most famous one, probably. Yeah, and there's always a, like a lot of movies. Yeah, they used it almost as concept art yeah. when it came time for the movies. Which is so you look some of that art and it actually looks near identical yeah, to some of the so stuff nice. from the movies. Uh, but so that's a lot of those, especially The Hobbit was published in a couple different versions where they did have illustrations in it, especially because The Hobbit was written as a um, as a children's book. It was meant to be read by a younger generation to introduce them. Uh, he did write The Hobbit first before he did Lord of the Rings, but he didn't publish it until after Lord. Pretty sure yeah, on, that. Totally off on that. I might be. The Lord of the, or the Hobbit was out for like twenty years before Lord of the Rings. No, that's what it was. It didn't have any popularity until Lord of the Rings, and then after the Lord of the Rings well, came the publishers out, publishers wanted a sequel to yeah. the Hobbit, and that's why they wrote Lord of the Rings. But it like was not what they were asking for. Right, right. Like they wanted like another kids' book that was like two hundred fifty pages, and it, I know. And it's then he came out with this like twelve hundred page epic, because <laughs> yeah. technically it's, it's Just, six books. What is the Cimmerillion? Cimmerillion. It's and basically, when did it? When did he write it? When did it come well, out? the the Cimmerillion was all his notes that he wrote for the series, basically. Yeah, that it, was stuff he wrote like his whole life. Yeah, basically. so it's like a series. JR, like, some of that stuff he wrote in the trenches. Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien was a linguistics guy. Yeah, he got yeah. he was a he got his doctorate in linguistics, um, and as his doctoral thesis. He created Quenya, the Elvish language, uh, all the way through. And that's actually where the Lord of the Rings came from, is within that doctoral thesis, he created the he didn't want to just create a language. He wanted to create the language and the world and the people and everything. And that it went back into that. Yeah. The Cimmerillion is basically all of his notes of that world. It's the Bible of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. It's the it's origin story, it's the creation story. It is very hard to read. I've actually never finished it. Me either. You have to like take notes yes. as it, you read it so that, you can keep track of characters and places and stuff. It's, it's recommended if you want to read it and you're serious about it to read it like it's a textbook oh, and man. take notes and, and like you're on a course yeah, study for it. What's his connection to C.S. Lewis? <coughs> they were good buddies. They were best friends. They used to actually sit in a cafe together and write. Um, they, they bounced ideas off of each other. Um, and it's funny that C.S. Lewis is known as the Christian writer and Tolkien's not necessarily known as that, but there's a lot of mirror imagery between what they were doing. Well, C.S. Lewis was an atheist. Right. And, and not Tolkien. Yeah. And Tolkien was actually the more religious yeah, one of the two. He was Catholic, but yeah. he was like born and raised that way and was that way his whole life. Right. Right. But yeah, they were just best friends. They, and they bounced a lot of ideas off each other because they were written at pretty much at the same time. Um, yeah. There's a, I forget the name of the cafe, but there's this one cafe they always went to and wrote together um so the movies we talked about them um you said you were seven or eight when fellowship came out i was no, i was uh, or, i would have been 11 11 2001 so yeah i was a freshman in high school sophomore it was the christmas season right yes yeah, so i was a sophomore yeah, in high school december, yeah because it was always yeah yep yeah. i remember my two towers t-shirt was december 17th I distinctly remember that. <laughs> I remember I bought the extended edition of Fellowship, and it came with two free movie tickets to see the two times. Yeah, because it came out right before Christmas every year. The DVD for the movie would come out in the summer, and then the extended would come out uh, for Christmas season, because I got them each year for Christmas mm-hmm. as they came out. Um, thoughts on the movies? For the most part, I love them. There's stuff that I wish I hadn't changed, but... 
I think the extended editions are. I like and I like watching them more because it includes more stuff. But the theatrical versions are better movies. Oh, I agree. The extended as as much as we both enjoy them. There's a lot of dragging. I mean, watching all three of them in one day does suck. Just from like as much fun as it is. Movie standpoint, yeah. The theatrical versions are better movies if you have no idea what you're watching. Uh, the extended edition would pretty much bore. Right, right, right. Like right. Taylor. Yeah, it's just my. I think of movies as like I really despise the movies, not because I think they're bad movies. It's more or less just because of how wearing they are to the individual if you're not uh, completely submersed in them. Um, and there are just things that like I don't understand and, and I understand how that universe works, but I, I don't understand why it works the way it does. Like um, my point earlier when I was talking to Josh about it was the fact that there's these eagles who fly them towards the end, even though the eagles aren't um, in the business of ferrying hobbits around, that they they are there. And if they knew the stakes of everything, why didn't they help? Okay, well, all right, all right, all right. Common, common complaints about the series is that. That's one of the most common complaints about it. And Or why didn't they jump on the ints and the ints just cured them? Well, they they only only the two hobbits. Well, Gandalf too met the ants, but it's the same same reason basically. There is old forces in Middle Earth like the ants, the eagles, um, Tom Bombadil, who's not Balrog, yeah, um, that are ancient forces, and they literally just it's like men don't exist to them. Yeah, it's not even that they don't interfere with the the world of men. Don't care. They don't care because it doesn't affect them because the, the ants, the eagles, all of them, their world will keep going no matter who rules it. Now, that's why the ants did get involved was because they realized that their world was being destroyed. And that's why the hobbits kind of tricked them into seeing that and got them involved. And they attacked Saruman and uh, had Fanghorn go help the, the living forest, mm-hmm. which was connected to the ants. Um but that those two, those are some of the biggest complaints from people who are not in the Lord of the Rings. That, yeah, I mean the they, movie doesn't do a good job of explaining no, no. that aspect whatsoever. Like, I can't remember, but I feel like Gandalf helped the Eagles at some point, so where they kind of feel like they owe him. Right, which is why they continuously fulfill favors for they him. They just come in like right in the nick yeah. of time, all the time. But they don't actually want to like. Be they don't want to. It's just that they that's who Gandalf is. Um. I feel like there was another big thing complaint about those movies. That There's a lot, a lot of have. walking in the movies, and like they have horses, and they don't use them a lot. I mean, I know some of the terrains a little. Well, I'm, all right, so that's a, that's another uh, point. They they needed to travel inconspicuously, and horses did not allow them to travel where they needed to. Um, they, I mean, they had built a pony uh, until Moria, and yeah. and then after Moria, they they were on the river and then the fellowship split and Frodo and Sam went off on their own. And then they did get horses after that because they went to Rowan. Yeah. So I mean, weren't trying to get into Mordor at that point. no, right. They'd already given it up to, well, that half of the, the fellowship, but well, a big part of it was that they were trying to be inconspicuous and it was already hard enough with four hobbits, a wizard, two men, an elf and a dwarf, which is very un common in middle earth because the races very much did keep to themselves and the best way to do that one of the best ways to do that was to stay off the beaten trail 
which meant no horses. I mean, seeing so, that group of people together in Middle Earth would have been like seeing that group of people together in Bradley. Yeah, I mean, that's how absurd it was <laughs> in that time. It's absurd that Legolas and Gimli formed the friendship that they did. It's yeah. just not not how Middle Earth works. They all live their own lives. There is a lot. Yeah, of- I understand in all fiction there are rules to it. But in all fiction, most fictions break those rules. And I feel like it's one of the few um, mythical universes where people just don't break rules. Well, and that's just the kind of author he was. Well, and you also have to realize that J.R.R. Tolkien created most of those rules. Yeah. This was the first major fantasy series of like that. Basically invented the genre. Yeah. And so those rules that get broken by other stories in that genre were because he set them. Mm -hmm. So there were no rules to break. If, you know, he set the rules. Oh, yeah. No, I, I understand. Uh, also, fun fact on that, elves, uh, as we see them, and the term elf didn't exist before. That was something that J.R.R. Tolkien created. Um, there were no Santa's elves. There was no, the elves in general, there was there was fairies. There was other mythical creatures similar to what we know, like nymphs. But elves were not a thing. That. Yeah, Something that he created, the term elf. All of that he created. The pointy ears. You're going to look it up, try and prove me wrong? No. Uh, that's what it looked like you were doing. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the movies, and I was actually I debated even bringing these up because I know I know what your opinion is on them. It's not that much different than mine, but the Hobbit movies. Oh, the Hobbit movies are terrible. Yeah. Um, way to just take a blockbuster franchise and make it awful. Yeah, they, well, that's what they want to do is make as much money as they could. Yeah, I... They took a... What could have been an awesome three-hour movie that pretty much included everything. Or two two-hour movies. Or two two-hour movies and made it into three three-hour movies. And it's just awful. And they just added in a bunch of shoehorning characters. Took characters from other well, time periods. And so there were some parts about that that I didn't mind. The adding and changing. Like I didn't mind the Pale Orc. Uh, because they were chased by orcs a lot in, those, in that book. Yeah. And I liked that they kind of did something to make a reason for why those the same band of orcs was following them. I enjoyed that, but I didn't enjoy some of the characterizations of some of the dwarfs because it was a little different from the books. And I didn't like how much of the elves were thrown in. I didn't like the love story. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah, we're just talking about how the elves and dwarves are supposed to hate each other. And it's, and they even show why they even show why Uh, elves are repulsed by dwarves and vice versa. There's no, there's no attraction between them. That's it was. It almost takes away from what Legolas and Gimli's friendship ended up being because they threw in that that love story. Yeah. I hated that. I um, I hated the CGI. The Lord of the Rings movies are so good at practical effects and the very very small uses of CGI. The orcs were the worst part. Well, and see, and that's one of the best parts of Lord of the Rings. Right. They would have thousands of extras out there in chainmail in the rain. And then they might have taken digitally and multiplied them, but they were there. And then instead in the Hobbit, it's all CGI. I, I always uh, relate back to that picture of Ian McKellen while filming in, in uh, bag end, the dinner scene, he started breaking down crying because it's not what he got into acting. for. It was just like green screen. It was green screen. And he was looking at a dot, you know, a stick with a ball on it. And he just started crying because that's not why he acts. He doesn't act to talk to a ball. And then that's another thing with uh, the movies, which I want to talk about, was the forced perspective. Um, 
you've seen all the the bonus features on the DVDs and the Lord of the Rings. Yes, of the Lord of the Rings, not on the Hobbit. They were genius at forced perspective. Um, Do you remember the the cart, the way it looked? Yeah, the one I always think of is uh, when they're sitting at the table in Bag End. In Bag End, yeah. And Frodo's like way. They put, away. yeah, they put Frodo a good like four or five feet down the table. Yeah, and then they just fill in the way where it looks like it's. And the table's actually cut actually, yeah, into two it like. separate tables. Yeah, and it's like it's connected by a bar. So it's like a Z shape. That makes yep. it look it's one table and they're sitting really close to each other. Yep, and they did a lot of um, body doubles for back shots. They did a lot of cameras low to the ground. So the shorter actors looked shorter, and then, or they put the taller actors on a box yep. and filmed from where you couldn't see it. And they were just. But it's the difference between that and The Hobbit, where The Hobbit CGI'd all, all of them shorter. Well, and they were all short for the most part. Right, so there, you didn't see much of them. Yeah. The Hobbit. So the only time they had to actually do it was when Gandalf was there. Or, you know, or other people in the But Even the though main they characters yeah. of the movie were all supposed to be relatively the same height. But, yeah. All right, so differences, and I know we're going to focus a lot more on the movies just because that's something that is easier to talk about too, yeah. but differences between the books and the movies. What are some of the major differences that you remember? Uh, the one that always bothered me was when Frodo tells Sam to go home. Oh, at the end, uh, towards the end of Return of the King. No, no, it's before Shelob, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they go into the tunnel when they're over, above. They're above Minas Morgul. Yeah, yeah. And Gollum like orchestrates the whole thing yeah. by making it look like Sam's eating all the Lumbus bread. Not quite how it worked in the book. It didn't happen. Right. They went in together. Yep. He never told me to go home. No, that stuff never happened. That bothers me as well. I understand why they did it because they wanted it to be scarier because it was just Frodo. Uh, the big one of the big themes in that book is the friendship between the two of them, and that kind of ruins it in that moment. Although it does make um, Sam that more powerful of a character that he came back. And you know how much yeah. I love the line, "I can't oh, carry it, but I can carry you." This is the all the crumbs and everything when he gets like halfway down and he's all pissed off and decides to come back. Yep. My, there was a couple things that really bothered me. It doesn't really make sense because like, he knew that he didn't do right, it. Right, right. But then he went down and saw it. He's like, oh yeah, I didn't do this. <laughs> but I didn't like the the exclusion of Tom Bombadil. I get why he's not in the yeah. movie. Um, I would have liked him in the extended. Tom Bombadil, for those of you that don't know, is a character they run into very early on in their adventure. Taylor looks so bored. Um, his, his hat is blue and his boots are yellow. Um, he's just kind of this character that lives in these woods um, with his wife, Goldenberry. Sure. Golden Holly. I don't, I don't remember exactly what her name was. <laughs> uh, but the big thing was is the ring didn't affect him. Right. Because um, he's basically this ancient force on Earth. Like uh, and uh, he can talk to trees and animals and. Uh, it was just a really neat character, but even Tolkien has said that he didn't quite know what Bombadil was to that world, but he was a character that was within there. And just cinematically, I would have loved to see him, but I was surprised that he was Right, right. And then the thing that bothered me the most was the exclusion of the Scouring of the Shire at the end of Return of the mm-hmm. King. Um, you've seen all the movies, right, Taylor? Yeah. There is a good... I mean, almost probably the eighth of that last book. It's not that long. It's it's a good chunk at the end after they destroyed it's the ring. A couple chapters. 
and they go back to the Shire, mm-hmm. and Saruman's men have taken it over. Okay. And they have to spend... And Saruman's there, too. Yeah, Saruman didn't die at the tower. They run into him on the, um, on the, road, on the road, and then... And then he's there, and they've taken over the Shire, and they have to the, all the main Sharky, yeah, yeah, all of his men call him Shark, Sharky, um, which is weird. I wish they had thrown a little nod of that in the book. Um, but they have to all the hobbits that come back have to basically raise up all the hobbits to fight back and take back the Shire. And there's like this whole little rebellion story thrown on at the end, and explains why uh, Pippin and Mary basically become the um, the mayor and like sheriff. The, of the Shire because of it. And it actually um, puts a little bit more focus on the fact that they grew taller because when they were with the Ents and drinking their water, the Ent drought, mm-hmm. and they are all, they're the two tallest hobbits that ever lived. So that's why. Are they like the size of men? No, not quite. <laughs> no, not <laughs> but they they grew taller than any hobbit. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think it's like 4'4 four, four or something What's like that. What's like the average size of a hobbit? Short. I think it's like between three and four yeah. feet tall. It's like they don't uh, show that very well in the movie. Because yeah, they it, are, in the movies they look taller than what the book describes. Yeah. Them as. Okay. They're I like mean, half the size. Yeah. The they're very very small. That's why they a lot of places people call them halflings. Okay. Um, and a lot of people are actually very um, unaware of them when they're around because it's just like children running around. They're unimportant. You know, okay. they get mistaken for children a lot. Uh, that's actually part of the reason that Bilbo was on in the crew at the in the Hobbit was because he was their thief. Burglar. Their burglar because he could get in and out of places. Speaking of like height of people, did you know that the uh, John Rhys Daves that's G- Gimli who was Gimli and was actually the tallest actor yep. there? He yep. was 6'1". It's very, very tall He's guy. 6'1", he was the tallest. Yeah, was a bunch of short dudes. <laughs> yeah, was a bunch he short also played um, Treebeard. Of the Fellowship. Of the, the Fellowship. Yeah. He also played Treebeard. He played oh, two know. characters in that. The voice, yeah. uh, another fun fact about that cast is uh, Viggo Mortensen wasn't originally Aragorn. They actually filmed some with another actor. Daniel Day-Lewis. It wasn't yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. They wanted yeah, him. Daniel Day-Lewis turned down the role. No, but there was another yeah, one that they, they started him, filming with. Oh, okay. There was another one they started filming with, mm-hmm. and he just, like, it wasn't a good fit. They thought he was too good-looking, if I remember right. Something like that. It just Viggo wasn't Mortensen's a good Mortensen's pretty good-looking. <laughs> but I can't imagine Aragorn being anybody but... Vigo Morrison. Oh, yeah. Um, so, favorite character in all of Lord of the Rings. Come on, everybody has one. Is it Sean Bean because he dies? <laughs> no, that <laughs> is Andy's favorite character. Yes, that is. Andy's really? favorite is, is Boromir. I know why, because I'm not that far off of him. Why? Um, my favorite's Faramir, Boromir's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boromir, what makes him an interesting character is that he was seduced by the power of the ring, but then atoned for it immediately. He was not as flawed as he was flawed. He wasn't as evil as your initial perception of him is. The movies don't do a good job. No, they do skew it a little bit. But he didn't want the ring for selfish purposes. No. Even though he was seduced by it, he wanted it because he truly thought it was a weapon that he could bring back to Minas um, Tirith and to Gondor to help them win the war. And it's the same reason that Isildur was tempted and, and succumbed to the ring because he thought the same thing. He thought it was a weapon that would keep Gondor in power. Right. Um, and he failed. He did fail by trying to steal it from Frodo. And then as soon as he realized his mistake, he gave his life to defend Marion Pippin. 
which I mean, that in that movie is just fantastic. Uh, but my favorite Faramir, his brother, um, I grew up a middle child and very much felt, I'm not gonna say neglected because my parents are wonderful. My family's wonderful, but different than the rest of my family. I'm not, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make fun of me all you want, but Faramir, who was the more honorable of the brothers, the, the more loyal of the brothers. That's another thing that changed in the movie that was bad. Yeah. Right. And decides to let him go. Right. Looks, he just lets him go. Yeah, and he never succumbed to anything with the ring. And instead, and he was crapped on by his dad. He was insignificant yeah. and unimportant. Everything he did they was showed that wrong. in the movie, but in the book, it's even worse. Yeah, yes. I'm just completely crapped on. Completely. Yeah. Um, and yet, he was still a good person and a strong person and honorable, you know, and. To the point that even when Aragorn took back over as king, he still kept Faramir on as the steward. Mm-hmm. And he, he uh, Aragorn gave him his sloppy seconds because he wasn't interested yeah. in Eowyn. Yeah. I don't know. My favorite character is probably either Sam or Gandalf. I do I love Sam. Gandalf is like probably most people's favorite character. But I mean, whatever. He it's is like a wizard. One of the best lines is like a wizard is never late. He, precise, or is he, early? he arrives precisely when he means to. He has a lot of great and lines. Fool of a Took. Yeah. And uh, You Shall Not Pass. I mean, Sam's just like the best friend. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can't carry it, but he can carry you. <laughs> Gandalf's just a badass. Yeah, I mean, I always liked Aragorn. When I was younger, Aragorn was my favorite. Well, but he's like the like five hero. Well, it's the Fellowship. I do love the friendship between Legolas and Gimli. It's what makes me like him so much. I always, I mean, we both love Treebeard. I like Dan, I like Gollum a lot. <laughs> he's an interesting he character. Once like, you get into Smeagol's story, is he one of like the few characters who carries over from the Hobbit to Lord of the Rings? Him and Bilbo and Gandalf. Really? Well, Elrond. Well, Bilbo isn't like a main character in Lord of the Rings. No, no, he's there. Elrond is a main character, I would say. Yeah. And I mean, he's in he's the not book and shown in the movie a lot, but he's better. his presence he's is known. Things, yeah. yeah. Um, that's probably it, though. Really, it's just Gandalf, Gollum, and Elrond that really carried Sorry. over. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the dwarves from the the Hobbit. You're gonna have to tell me which one because I can't remember. Was ended up being the um, leader of Moria that they went through. Balin. I don't remember when they're when they're reading uh, the book when they get names. I know when they're reading the book and Durin. they get they get no, attacked. That's, that's the horns. Yeah, when they get attacked by the cave troll, they're like drums, drums in the dark. They're reading that on top of the the coffin of one of the dwarves in the Hobbit. So there are some tieovers. Okay, um, Gloin, which is Gimli's dad, was one of the dwarves in the Hobbit too. So there are some like carryovers from generations within those those stories. But really, yeah, it's just Gandalf now running Gollum. Gollum's barely in the Hobbit. Yeah, barely. Like more towards the very end. He has one scene. It's no, he's in like, like the, the middle. middle. It's like almost directly the middle. Yeah. Riddles in the dark. Uh, it's when they're all Does in it, the Isn't that where the ring is first appeared? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And they don't even, I especially having read them in order, and unlike the movies, um, which we, you know, the first, the three came out and then the Hobbit. Uh, no idea how important that ring is when they it all. Gandalf kind of freaks out about it a little bit when he first well, sees just, it. But he doesn't know that he has it. No, he no. He suspects that he does. He doesn't he even. Still doesn't know. He doesn't know for sure is, until he's weird. Yeah. Of it. 
till half hour to the fellowship. He's suspicious of what's going on. Yeah. It's like, but it's it's very much just seems like a trinket, a magic trinket. In the, well, the, especially in the Hobbit, because he gets Honestly, the it probably was right. Wrote it. Um, he got the mithril coat and staying his sword, and then the ring. It was just like, oh, it's just another thing he's getting. But I think a lot of that comes you from get the mithril coat. Until the end. That was one of his gifts. N- no, wasn't it in the uh, troll treasure? And he got it back at the end. Maybe. I don't remember. It's it's been a while since I've read the Hobbit. Hobbit's actually the hardest one for me to reread because it is. It's so simple. Simple. Right? I remember it too well. Yeah, you remember it really well. It's like you know. Yeah. What's so when I happen next, I've reread Lord of the Rings like six, seven times in my life, and I've only read the Hobbit twice. I just I have an issue rereading it. Uh, so I, I'm not clear on the details in the movies. I didn't like enough to see more than once. So well, they get a lot of details. Right. Right. But and I think this details. I think the the ring feeling like a trinket comes from the um, the fantasy tropes, you know, that we're used to, where they they get a thing, you know, they get a magical item. It's just a, something they get. And you move on. It's and so when you're reading that, it feels like that. Even though, like we said earlier, Tolkien created right. If you were those reading tropes. that book for the first time in like the forties, you're probably like, whoa, a magic ring that turns you invisible. Right, right. That's pretty crazy. Instead of oh, it's just another magical now thing. Now we're like, oh time. yeah, it's just a magical thing like you'd pick up in a video game. Yeah, well, yeah, in a post video game, post D and D world, it just it feels unimportant, and it ends up being the most important thing that happened in all those books was that ring making its way to Bilbo, which is what it was. Gollum didn't lose that ring. Bilbo didn't find it. That ring made its way to Bilbo. That's well, one thing. I don't think the ring intended for Bilbo. No, no. But the ring just wanted to get away from Gollum. Yep, it, it wanted to be found. That's something that's um, glossed over in the movies and they don't talk about it a lot. That ring has a will of its own. Well, they talk about it. They but... talk about it, but not the way they do in the book. And the, they have a voice actor for it. Well, yeah. Yeah, in the that. beginning of Fellowship, that whole... The Dark Tongue. Reading it when you hear... Oh, you're talking about the beginning with... Uh, that's Galadriel. Yeah. Doing the voiceover of what happened. Shit. Yeah. But um, I think he's talking about when they hovered over and they heard the voice. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, with a dark tongue saying the poem. Um, One thing I, I have heard about the Hobbit movies is that there's a lot of stuff that's added to them. So much. A lot. A so lot much. Of, a lot of it is, like, from... Appendices. Appendices, yeah. Like, the Pale Orc is a real character, but he existed like hundreds of years before the Hobbit happened. And they just like transplanted him. Well, the story with Thorin's dad was part of the appendices. Yeah. But there was none of that pale orc chasing them in the Hobbit. Okay. Um, And Legolas being there was completely added. We kind of went over it a little bit earlier. But yeah, Legolas would have been alive. But he wasn't and he would have been there. He would have been there. His dad was the king of that yeah. wood elf yeah. area, but he wasn't there at all. Uh, the love story was added. Um, a lot of the stuff with Gandalf was added. A lot. Yeah, on his own adventures. Side quests. A lot of that stuff yeah. happened, but it wasn't in the hobby. It was, it was either an appendice or it was just talked about. Like him going and fighting the necromancer. Yeah, like he would like casually mention it. Because that's another thing. Gandalf does go off in the book to fight the necromancer, but it doesn't show it. And there's actually no knowledge that that's Sauron when you read The Hobbit. It's, no. It, no. That comes later. And they're like, was it the necromancer? Yeah, it was the necromancer. Like he just, he went off to fight this evil being in Mirkwood. And that was it. That, that's that's all that was said. And he doesn't beat him? He drives him out of there. Uh-huh. But he was there by himself. He couldn't 
do much more than that, but he drove him out of that fortress. And Sauron's at that time was almost like he was just a war crux of Voldemort. Yeah, he just was like reconstituting himself in that one area. Okay. Um, That's, the ring is almost like a war crux. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> Really, yeah, when it comes down to I mean, it. I feel like people understand that whole thing a lot better than a lot of stuff in the Lord of the Rings. So I feel like it's a good no, it is. Analogy. And it destroyed it, it killed him. If yeah. he got it to himself, he'd so have more power. He wasn't smart like Voldemort. Right. <laughs> if he would have seven, there would have probably been like 15 Lord of the Rings books. Right. <laughs> I would have been okay with that. There pretty much is, to be fair. There's a lot. And all written from his damn notes. Sorry, Chris. All written from his notes. Dang notes. Dang notes. Those darn notes. Um, so, favorite, like a fun fact about the movies of the books. I can give mine, because I got one that I'm already sure. thinking. My favorite one from the movies, my favorite like little fun fact trivia that you can know, is um, there's two real quick, and they're both Aragorn, and I'm sure you're going to know as soon as I start saying them what I'm talking about. Uh, when they are, when Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn are tracking Merry Pippin, Following the orcs, yeah. the Urukai, um, they find the battle. The Rohirrim send them towards where the battle was, and they go there. And Aragorn's using his mad tracking skills to figure out what happened to the hobbits. He's like, "Oh, their hands are cut here, cut here, and blah blah blah." Right before all that, when they see they see the um, the battlefield the and they see it, and the pile of bodies and everything, and Aragorn kicks a helmet and and then yeah. screams in pain. He actually broke his toe. Oh, and that's okay. the take he broke his toe. That's so that screen of agony screen. was real. <laughs> oh, okay. That and then at the end of the fellowship, um, after Boromir was all shot up, Aragorn comes in to save the day. The Urukai throws a dagger at him, and that dagger was supposed to be thrown wide uh, and miss. And the stuntman, because he couldn't see very well, threw it at Vigo. Yeah. And Vigo bats it down with a sword. That was a complete yeah. accident. That was yeah. not scripted to be like that. It was meant to go missing, you know. To, yeah. to dodge it, and instead he had to beat it down real quick and continued the scene. Yeah. And again, that's the cut that made it. Those are my two favorite little fun facts. Yeah, I have one now. Uh, after Frodo gets stung by Shelob, and the orcs find him, they like, take the weapon off his face, and his eyes are open. Yeah. Elijah Wood, I guess, has this uncanny ability to just be able to hold his eyes open for stupid lengths of time <laughs> and keep them still. So like that's all just him. Yeah, there's no CGI. There, yeah, there's no CGI or anything <laughs> oh, well. or anything. Yeah, just it's just him staring off into space, which is kind of creepy. Yeah, when is. you watch it, because it looks very when unnatural. You watch it, knowing that it's like, what the heck? Yeah, because it focuses on his face yeah. a lot, and it's hard scene. to like just sit there with your eyes like perfectly still. Yeah, and like move your head around because you like want to look at stuff and focus on something, especially stuff happening are around you. Straight, yeah. and like no matter what they do with them. Actually, the Hobbit parts of the, the story is the parts I dislike the most. Like, if I could watch those movies and cut out just the him and Sam stuff and have just everything <laughs> well, else, I would actually love to say that definitely more. I remember when I was reading The Two Towers for the first time, I was like 11. I was like, like you said, I was struggling. Too. Yeah. Was like, They're wordy. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was like the most advanced thing I'd ever read. So I would skip pages because I wanted to get to the parts with Frodo and Sam because I wanted to know what was going on with see, the ring. See, and I 
kind of like the opposite. They're two completely different stories, and that's the yeah. thing. And they're just happening at the same time, right? And the way they're written in the book too, you get a whole half a book on one of them, right? And then that's, another half is the other. The one. first half of Two Towers, I was like just trying to get through as fast as I could because I wanted to get to the part where they talked right. about Sam and Frodo. And, and it's and, it's the difference between like a true hard fantasy story that you know that's the part you like where there's a lot of action and battles and lore and everything and then the part with frodo and sam is literally just two friends traveling through hard times you know there's some lore in it but it actually gets a little confusing because they don't have somebody to explain it to them so it's just frodo and sam and Gollum going through the dead marshes and here's the spider person and you know there's not somebody there whereas the other side the the gimli legolas aragorn side you got them tracking down Urukai, you got them meeting up meet up with gandalf and um going to the rohirrim and saving theoden and then moving on to gondor and having big battles that you got helms deep and pelinor fields that was the exciting part of those books frodo and sam was not exciting and i just was the part i wanted to read the most see in me i i just i wanted to get to the frodo and sam stuff because it was always the second half of the book because i I felt like this was important, but I knew that Frodo and Sam was the important part. That was the most important thing that was going on. Yeah, and, and it, what everything it was on. getting frustrating, as exciting as that first half was, trying to push through it. Well, the, and the, that's the other thing, is the, the end of Two Towers was like the first time I remember ever reading like a cliffhanger. Yeah. At the end, they take Frodo, and Sam finds out he's not dead. Right, right. And after she locked out, and like that's the end of the book. And I was like, oh. I mean, luckily for me, I didn't have to wait for the next book to come right. out. <laughs> I just had to go read it, but I still had to read like a lot of Return of the King before it goes back. Right, because it's all the first half. Sam and Frodo did, to find out what did, happens. I've heard before that like people have always said that the structure of those books isn't the greatest. No, because Tolkien's not a writer. Yeah, he's not, he's not a novelist yeah. because he's the linguist. He actually spends a lot of time like describing trees. Or yeah, forests or scenes. I listened to the uh, audio book on my phone, and it took me like a year because I just listened to like a half hour at a time like, while I was taking a shower or something. But it was like so much more enjoyable than actually sitting down and reading it. Yeah, I've got a really good audio version. You don't of my have cocktail. to like because the one I did was like word for word unabridged. But you don't have to sit there and like just read through like these long descriptions. You can just listen to them and like even tune out if you want. These are actually some of the first books I've read because, like I said, I devoured books as a kid, even though they were mm-hmm. fairly simple. I mean, I went from like Hardy Boys to yeah, Spider-Man novelizations to Star Wars, yeah. and then I went into the Lord of the Rings. And it was still some of the only books that I read that I remember reading and have to reread pages because they weren't. But the, one, they were way too advanced for when I started. Although every Seventh Day of Critter should start reading them about that time. Yeah, that's when you should start reading. That's but you're going to struggle with it because even I, feel I like it helped my reading a lot. Well, and I was a pretty advanced reader compared to most of the people I knew, and it's I still struggled with yeah, it. I was and, too. And it did definitely did help me get better at reading. Um, but no, he's not. He doesn't structure well. He doesn't. If, if, when it comes down to it, he's not a great writer, quote unquote. Right. Uh, he's not a great author, I guess. He's no Stephen King. Right, sure. right. He doesn't necessarily know how to structure a book, but that's not what makes those great. It's the lore and the characters and the, the action and, and the descriptions. Uh, I, I feel, feel like, like those build the universe. Yeah, which, and more than anybody ever has. the first one to really do that to yeah. the extent that he did it. Yeah. I mean, Quenya is still the most um, thought out and most 
the best language, fictional language ever created. There's none that have come close, even Klingon that, that like yeah. they have classes in, um, not serious class, but you know, you can learn how to speak yeah. and everything. Not the same way as, as Quenya, that that is the most thought out and like developed fake language ever. Those books like shape the way I read to this day because like you said, you'd have to like read pages over. Yeah. So I would just read stuff slow. Right. And I still read slow. Like I read right. faster than a lot of people, but I know people who can blow through a book in like a few hours. I'm just like, I just can't do it because I'm slow. No, slow. I learned how to read basically reading the Lord of the Rings. So I just read everything slow and I actually enjoy it more that way because it happens in more of like a movie type pace. Right, right. If you can blow through a book happens like over the course of a year and three hours and it doesn't really feel like and my right. wife's a really fast reader she can knock out a book in like a week I, so t- I, I can't i can't do i that. used to go through the harry potter books that fast but that's just because i was reading well those are kids books too they're easier to read <laughs> i would just sit there for four hours See, and read tiff gives me a lot of crap when we're reading comic books like if we go to the comic book shop together and come back and she'll have like four or five issues and I'll get 10 to 15 because that's who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And I'll be done with all 10, 10, 15 of mine before she's done with two. And I mean, she gives me a hard time. She's not a slow reader, but she, she takes in the art a lot more. Yeah. But I had to like force myself to do that because I'm not. But see, and for me, it's just, guys. it's just yeah. the words are done like that. I had to force myself to look. Yeah. The, the words are done like that and I glance at it and I move on and I still enjoy it, but I don't, there's no. Like, I sink in the art while I'm reading yeah, the words, and then I read the words fast, and I move on. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. There's no dwelling. It's depending on, when it comes to that kind of stuff, it, it just depends on who's writing it or who's illustrating it. Right. Because some, some writers... Well, there are some, yeah. like, like, that I really want to take in the art. And there's some that are, especially 90s books, where they're so wordy, it almost gets harder to read and read them slower. Yeah, I mean, it's... um, It depends on how dense they are, really, yeah. and, like, what it's about but i I, my point was i think part of the reason i read that fast on those is because i have read lord of the rings so many times you know i've gotten used to reading such dense stuff that does take a lot of absorption right in a quick way i read watchman for the first time well went through it at first and i was like i'm like not even looking at (laughs) i've seen the movie so it's like right (laughs) which we probably have an episode about watching more than likely and he might not be a bad person to have on it yeah um but yeah, so uh, I think that's all. That's it. Three rings for Alvin King, Send of the Sky. Oh, the other thing I want to talk about was the uh, that fan edit of The Hobbit. Oh, that yes. I haven't got a chance to watch that, but I really want to watch it. It's... Somebody took all three extended versions of The Hobbit movies, which I cannot believe they extended those movies. They were already extended they versions already, of those movies. They were already extended versions of the extended versions. But somebody took all three, which is like, Probably 12 hours. Close to, yeah. I think they were a little shorter than Lord of the Rings. Compressed it into a four-hour movie. Took out all the garbage. They, like, edited a lot of the way the movie looks to make it look more like Lord of the Rings. Well, it doesn't have the uh, speed in film. I don't think they can do that. Because this is just like somebody who did this. Oh, okay. They just they gave it the colorization. But he gave it, like, the colorization of Lord of the Rings movies. Cut out all the fat. Darker. Well, what we say at the beginning of when we were talking about the Hobbits, that it would have made two, either one great three hour or two great two hour. And this is a one four hour. Movie. Yeah, and seeing that and it's cut right in the middle, so right? Basically, two two hour. Movies. Which is what I said from the get go. It should have been. So I could have really understood. Excited to watch that. 
That's awesome. Is that like something somebody put on YouTube or is it? Uh, you downloaded it. Uh, yeah, it's like mm, it's a website this guy made for it. Like made for it's, you can download it. I downloaded it on my computer or you can like download it and put it on Blu-rays and he even made like his own cover art and stuff that you can put into a oh, Blu-ray sweet. case. Yeah, that's And that's obviously cool. you can't charge money for it because of copyrights. So like, it's all free. Yeah. I want to see it. He asks that you own the movies already. Like, it's not technically copyright infringement because all he's doing is taking the stuff. Right. Cutting it up and putting it together in a different... Oh, okay. There's a couple different fan ed- edits of it, but that's from the one... That, from I know which one you're talking about. That's like the one research, I want to see. That's like the best one. Most uh, thoroughly done. I do want to show off a little bit here because this is something that I learned when I was really young. Um, I told you I got my books from my dad. My dad gave me a belt buckle that his mom, my grandma, got him when he 1978, so he would have been or 79. He was 18 or 19, um, and it was Lord of the Rings belt buckle, and it had the ring on it, and it had the script from the inside of the ring, like printed inside the ring, and then the, the English text on the outside. And it was the poems, the whole poem. Everybody knows the One Ring to Rule Them All. One Ring, well, not everybody, but the fans know the One Ring to Rule Them All. I one probably ring. couldn't even recite. I can tell you right now. I can tell you Honestly, the whole poem. It's been so long since I was like completely immersed in all this. It's uh, three rings for elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their hall of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die in the land of mortar where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all in, in the darkness, bind them in the land of mortar where the shadows lie. Do we? Yeah, it's. <laughs> Oh, I've missed a line. I did miss a line. line. Oh, Three rings for having seven for dwarf lords, nine for the human uh, and then one for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor. That's the line I missed. It's sorry. Three rings for elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in the halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness find them. So in the land of mortal where the shadows like, lie. Well, in the mortal dark language, yeah. But that's I'm really proud that I know that. So uh, yeah. I like to I show that up. That. It's like the Green Lantern note. Like you we can't me, like, say it. Twelve years ago, yeah. I know the orange one. I know like almost all of them. <laughs> well, the orange one's the best. What's mine is mine is mine is mine is mine is mine is mine, not yours. Yeah, it's the easiest one. I know the Green Lantern. I don't know the other ones. Uh, Yellow is really similar to green. But I mean, they're all the same oath. Just no, not all of them are. Some of them are a little different. Yeah, but the yellow the, one's the closest. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I'm assuming you don't have anything to plug. Well, you know, you want to plug Ford, your, So if you want to buy a new car, you want to plug your your wife's dream catchers. Yeah, my wife's makes dream catchers. Gonna be a great times too. Instagram. Gonna be a great times. <laughs> she times two on Instagram. Go as well. buy some. Pay. Too much money, so I can. So you can buy a new money. car, another new car. Yeah. Uh, all right, and now we're on to uh, we're all over this where we plug things that we're over. You're not prepared. I can see it in your eyes. No tater. All right, Taylor doesn't have anything to plug, so we're gonna let Josh plug something, something that he's all over. So go ahead, Josh. Uh, I'm all over Westworld, the HBO series. Uh, just really digging it right now. Yeah. What's, what's basic premise well i know it's it's not a show that has a basic premise it's complicated it's like augmented reality with artificial people i don't know what would you call them like in blade runner like a replicant yeah basically nice i want to watch it i'm just waiting like the replicants supposedly can't hurt the humans you have to pay like forty thousand dollars a day to go into this world but it's like you're not going into like a virtual reality it's like 
real place, just with all these replicants. Huh. There's all these storylines that you can follow. It's on HBO. Yeah. It looks awesome. Like the replicants are starting to become like self-aware. Mm-hmm. I'm only like a few episodes into it. Ooh, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. What I'm all over, I figured this is fitting for the Lord of the Rings episode. Um, book series called The Wheel of Time, written by Robert Jordan. It's a fantasy series, very, very heavily influenced by Lord of the Rings. It's pretty obvious if you read them. There is like 14 books, but they are done. Uh, Robert Jordan died before he finished. He brought another fantasy author, Brandon Sanderson, to write one or two of them with him and then finish the series. Uh, it starts with The Eye of the World. Uh, it's just about these three farm boys that become very important, like the most important people in the world. And actually, some of the names are very similar Lord of the Rings names, like there's a character named Perrin. Jet, whenever I read it, I'm reminded of Pippin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple things like that. Um, very, very heavily influenced. It's, uh, I would say, as much as Game of Thrones isn't like Lord of the Rings, you know, because there is a gap there in the storytelling yeah, and the, the world, Wheel of Time would fit like right in the middle yeah. between Lord of the Rings and. They're fin- it's a, it is a chore. It is a chore. Well, that's the episode. Thank you, Josh, for being on. Thank Everybody you, Taylor. go see the trailer for uh, Train Spotting 2. Oh, it does look awesome. Uh, thanks for our audience back here that you might have heard gibbering a little bit. The wifey. Any last words? Nobody ever has any last words prepared. Uh, Taylor, any last words? No. <laughs> All right, see you guys.